Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dog Backwards, where we like to look at life, faith, and culture from maybe a slightly different angle. If you can't tell by my voice, I have been fighting off what everybody else is, seems to be fighting off in Oklahoma. We have a lot of listeners in the UK and elsewhere around the world, so let me tell you about Oklahoma. Uh, right now, it's probably close to 60 degrees outside in the middle of winter, and tomorrow we are expected to get anywhere from zero to 100 inches of snow. They have no idea because you can't predict the weather at all in Oklahoma. But so if you can put up with my voice, we have a really exciting episode. This is one I've kind of been waiting for for a long time. Uh, We try to make it happen a little bit before um, the new year, but now that the new year is here, this is the best one I can think of to start this podcast off for the new year. We have Laura Perry, and Laura has a fascinating story. She is the author of the book, Transgender to Transformed. And she lived, uh, I believe it was from about 2008, uh, for about six years or so, uh, living the transgender life and was fully invested into that, not just that lifestyle, but that culture as well. And then God radically got a hold of her. So Laura, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. You know, there is, when I feel like it comes to this issue, the LGBTQ issue as a whole, the church, I'm, I'm Southern Baptist. I believe you work at a Southern Baptist church. Is that correct? Uh, I did, actually. I've just moved to Oklahoma City. I'm now with a ministry called First Stone Ministries. Okay, great. Well, the Southern Baptists, we really suck at dealing with this issue. Right. Like, we, we don't know what to do. We have no clue of what's going on. So I've tried really hard to be somewhat of a middle ground. I've got friends that are gay, lesbian, and I've tried to just ask as many questions of them as I can so we can have somewhat, because I feel like we just talk over each other and we don't understand the culture they're coming from. They don't understand where we're coming from. We're trying to come from a place of compassion and love, but it sounds like legalism and rules. So even though I try to be a little bit in the middle ground to maybe bring a bridge to invite people into church, because it doesn't matter if somebody is gay, lesbian, or whatever, I want them in the church because I want them to hear the gospel. But there's so many barriers. But you weren't in the middle ground. You were on that side. And so I think you might be able to bring a really fresh perspective to help us know not only your story, but maybe how we can help them uh, come to know the truth of Jesus. So... You grew up in a Christian home, is that correct? Yes. Um, I grew up in a home that was kind of like you were talking about um, with a lot of rules, a very legalistic view of Christianity. And um, I don't even remember hearing in the church growing up about the Holy Spirit. It was just completely void in our church. And it was like, um, you're a Christian and you're going to work hard and you're going to keep all these rules. And that's really all I saw the Bible as was this is God's rule book and he's going to beat you over the head with it. <laughs> Now, when you were younger, uh, I I posted on social media the other day that um, parents don't call your daughters tomboys because you can be a girl and you can be tough and athletic and play softball. And don't, I I was, when I was in high school, I liked poetry, uh, acoustic music, and everybody else was into what kind of muffler to put on your Mustang. So people called me effeminate or gay. Now, if there are those people who might take that to heart. Did you have any of that when you were younger where th- you didn't feel like you fit into the typical feminine stereotype? Yeah, I did. And I'm glad you brought that up because I don't ever hear people um, saying not to call girls tomboy because everybody thinks that's okay. 
and it's been so culturally acceptable for so long. Um, but I think it had a profound effect on me when I was a kid because it was like, I knew that people weren't calling me a boy, but at the same time it was like, well, I must be different than girls. And I never could understand why I didn't fit in with the girls. And, um, I was, um, much more, um, much more boyish in that sense. I was interested in those things that were stereotypically um, boyish. But I think part of mine, too, when I was really little, I had um, I had a difficult relationship with my mom, uh, and I don't blame her at all. In fact, we've, you know, there's been an amazing reconciliation with her. But it was a difficult relationship when I was a kid. I felt kind of rejected by her. And I think a lot of it, um, she'd had two miscarriages between my brother and I, and uh, I know that I think she really just hadn't even grieved the second one especially. I was conceived shortly after, and um, I remember hearing when I was very little about these two brothers, and I was so excited because I thought, hey, if my brothers had lived, we'd have five kids instead of three, and I thought that was cool because my brother and sister were quite a bit older. So I thought it was cool that I would have had these brothers closer to my age. And I was told, well, no, we only wanted three kids. If one of them had lived, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so there, wow. was, there was sort of this survivor's guilt. And um, my mom was much closer to my brother and that, that, was, uh, that had lived. I had a, an older brother. And, uh, and so I started at a very, very young age to act like a boy. And... Um, so a lot of this, and I didn't recognize this at the time, I, I really didn't understand a lot of these childhood things until after I came out of the transgender lifestyle. So this is sort of in retrospect. But I can look back and see that I was trying so hard to, to be more like my brother. I got along very, very well with my dad and my brother, um, but, but didn't have much relationship with my mom and my sister. And uh, then when I was eight years old, I was molested. Um, by a boy that was only eight years old. And um, I was just, I was so confused. And it, it, you know, it exposed me to something that children aren't supposed to be exposed to. And I became very sexualized at a very young age and um, began messing around with my own friends. And I really began to, um, you know, desire these things and try to seek out um, sexual experiences and I was just eaten up with guilt and shame and just living this lie because I knew it was wrong uh, but there was still those desires so you were you were attracted to guys yes when you were younger and uh, after the abuse you really began to act out sexually to try to just figure out what all this was because sexuality is in our culture if there's no guidance sexuality is extremely confusing. Yeah. I think what pornography and the internet has done, the average age a kid is exposed to pornography is around seven or eight years old now. Yeah. And no wonder nobody can figure anything out because there's just, I mean, it's really muddy waters to try to figure out who you are. And then we have all these different labels between this is what is masculine and this is what is feminine. The Bible never does that. The Bible never is like, Adam, you should be the strong one. Yeah, Eve could have been twice as strong as Adam. We have no idea. Right. Um, the Bible doesn't paint us into these very, I mean, you look at David, he was a warrior, but he played a harp. And I can't think of like a sissier 
instrument in the harp. <laughs> like what this, you know, this big warrior walking around with this little four string thing. And so the Bible gives that flexibility, but culture doesn't. Um, so you were originally, you were attracted to, to boys. You struggled with your relationship with your mom. When did you begin to under, like to even hear about transitioning in this whole transgender group? Well, I was in college, but it's interesting. Looking back, I, I never remembered having an attraction to girls, and I wasn't physically. Um, but there were times that I wanted a girlfriend, and I think it was just because of this. I wanted so badly to be a man. And um, so I, I mainly had boyfriends through high school, but there was always this occasional girl um, that I was trying to sort of win over. And I remember one in particular that I really wanted to be my girlfriend, and she had a a man that she'd been with for like 10 years, but it was like this conquest. Like, I think it would have solidified me as a man if I could have won her in a sense. Um, but I was 25 when I really started all this. And it was actually in late 2007 when I really began to um, pursue this. And it was like, at the time, I really hadn't even heard the word transgender. I really, um, I was just so desperate for this. I knew how I felt. And it was like, I have to become a man somehow. I, I really didn't understand any of the causes from childhood. I really had just believed it was who I was by this point. Now, looking back, I realized that this is what I'd wanted for so long, and eventually I convinced myself it was true. But as I was um, looking around on the Internet one day, and I was just looking for, I remember typing into Google, like, girl becoming a boy, just to see if anybody else felt like I did. or And I was amazed that all these things popped up. You know, and I think we forget how much the culture has changed since then because now transgender, like everybody knows what that means. Right. Back then, nobody knew. And uh, so I found a local support group and uh, I went the first night and I was very nervous. I hadn't told anybody I was feeling this way. And I show up and they're, um, you know, asking me to tell a little bit about myself. And, you know, five minutes later, they're like, oh, you're definitely transgender. I'm like, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, they didn't even know me. You know, um, but they all, it's like, um, you know, mutual affirmation for all of us, you know. and They so, had the answer that you were looking for. Right. You're like, oh. this is, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I'll never forget. Um, I was really concerned that I would never look like a man, you know, because I hadn't started yet. And the leader of the group said, don't worry about that. A year or so of taking hormones and um, nobody's ever going to know you were a girl. And that was the ticket. I mean, I, that's what I had waited to hear all my life. One thing I wanted to add that sort of contributed all to, to all this, when I was in high school, I was already feeling this way a lot, and I was already really angry about being a girl. Um, my, my body started to have a lot of problems. I had had a lot of health problems all my life, but when I was 14, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And mm. um, I had extreme pain all the time and um so my body wasn't working correctly in the first place and it's causing me nothing but pain and then i was told i was likely never going to get pregnant and so i was just so angry about being a girl and um so there was just a complete rejection of all that and so when they told me that i would um no one was ever going to know i was a girl I, that was what i'd wanted to hear all my life and uh in fact, so your sexuality felt like a curse. It did. In fact, when I was dating guys in high school, it was um, it was so frustrating because I was attracted to them physically, but I just began to hate them because 
they treated me like trash and I was just giving myself away sexually all the time. I began sleeping just with everybody. Um, just became, uh, I was getting into pornography by that time and just um, really just sleeping with anybody that would. I was trying so hard um, to fix all this and to fill that void. And the more I gave myself away, the more guys were just treating me like trash. And looking back on it, I should have realized that's what would happen. But, you know, in my teenage mind, it was like, if I give them everything they want, then they'll love me. And I find that with a lot of girls. If there are girls out there listening who maybe aren't struggling with transgender, but maybe they've struggled with um, just never feeling like guys love them, you know, um, they're always... Guys think that um, girls are sleeping with them with these no strings attached. But even if they say that, girls are always looking um, for that serious commitment. They're always hoping that you'll be the one um, that will really love them. And uh, so, anyway, I was... I was just desperate for that. And I, so by this point, I'm like, you know, the, the reason that I'm never happy, the reason that these, these relationships are always failing is because I was supposed to be the man. And that's really where those, um, that desperation to change really began. And it was like, this is who I really was. And I have got to become a man no matter what it costs me. And so then in 2007... When I first started this, um, after I went to the sport group, I immediately sought out a, a therapist, and I had to have uh, three sessions with a therapist. It was a legal requirement at the time, and I'll never forget, she, um, I was not interested in counseling at all, <laughs> but um, to fulfill this legal requirement, um, I was just kind of mindlessly answering her questions, and I'll never forget, in the third session, she put down her notebook and she looked right in my eyes and she said, wow, you really have issues with your mom. And I was stunned. I was like, how did we get from me talking about, wow. you know, being a man to talking about my mother? And I was so angry at her and I blew up at her and I said, I'm not here to talk about my mom. And she said, so you just, um, sorry, let's <laughs> make She said, um, so you just want me to give you the hormones? And I said, Yes. That's all I'm here for. And she said, okay. And she just gave me what I wanted. Now, she couldn't give me the hormones, but she would give me a letter to take to the doctor to give me my hormones. Um, and I started down this path, and I thought it was going to find give me all the happiness and freedom I wanted. And for a while, it was great. Uh, the first couple of years were like I was on cloud nine. You know, there were all these exciting changes. And even though at first... I recognized that it was not real, that I was living this sort of fake life. I was dressing like a man. and um, But I'll never forget, like, the first time I was recognized in public as a man. And it was like, wow, this is, like, so awesome. And uh, I was at Sonic. I can still remember being in the drive-thru, and they said, sir. And it was like, oh, I'd wanted to hear that for so long. And so, um, you know, then I had a job where they allowed me to transition. But, um, but... It wasn't so you you had a, a counselor uh -huh. who recognized that there might be some deeper issues behind this. Yeah. But they still went ahead and yeah. gave you. Now, what I love about your story is it, you do now. And I don't know when you really started to reflect, but you do look back and kind of trace where some of this comes from. Yeah. And in our culture where feeling equals truth that means there's no need to look back because however you feel is true. Right. But 
if you if you believe that how you feel isn't always true, then you will look back and go, why do I feel this way? Yeah. Do, do you feel as though you had gender dysphoria and they were just like, we're not going to deal with that. We're just going to give you hormones? Yeah, well, I mean, they diagnosed, well, actually, I found out later, um, I was really angry at her. Um, I found out later that she never even officially diagnosed me um, with, but she told me that um, I was diagnosed with um, gender identity disorder. That's what they originally called it in the, um, in these psychological, um, what do they call it? The American Psychological Association. The book that they use um, for diagnoses is called the, I think it was the DSM-5 at that time. I, uh, I don't know what version they're on now. But at the time, it was called gender identity disorder. And they later changed it to gender dysphoria because they didn't like the term disorder. But it really was considered a mental disorder. And yet they were treating it with physical um, modifications to your body. But yeah, I think a lot of it was just the fear of backlash from the LGBT community. Um, and she, I think she fully recognized that that's at least where some of the problem was. But I find in this culture, I've talked to people before um, and I, I still didn't make the connection because she didn't really delve into it. I thought it was completely separate from how I was feeling. And I wish she had at least tried um, to help me see that connection. But I've talked to people sometimes that you can get them to see that connection and get them to see that um, they're being molested or exposure to pornography at a young age or, or whatever has led to these feelings. And yet they will still say, but this is who I am. Because they've heard that lie for so long that if you feel this way, that's who you are. And um, I, th I think there's so much fear attached to coming out to people, and especially to parents, especially to Christian parents. And they build up this wall for so long, and they reinforce over and over and over, this is who I am, this is who I am. And if my parents don't accept me, then I'm just, I'm going to cut them out completely. And that's what they're told by the culture. Even the schools sometimes are telling these kids if your parents and your, your church family or whoever don't just accept you for who you are, meaning their gay identity, then, then they hate you. And they build up this wall that it's like, if you don't accept this, then you hate me. And it can be very difficult to talk to them sometimes when, when in reality these feelings have been caused by something in their life. Everybody I've ever known in the LGBT community has had some type of early sex exposure molestation, um, or sometimes just a very difficult relationship with a parent, um, or sometimes they've been bullied a lot. There, you know, there's a number of different factors, but there's always something. Um, I had a boss, I had a boss um, many years ago who was gay, and we, we were good friends, and we had a lot of conversations, and I asked him about the gay bars. I was like, what is, what is that like? I had never been to one. I was like, what is that like? And he goes, it's the most depressing place mm -hmm. you could go. He goes, all of us struggle with drugs, alcohol. And I was painting with a broad brush, but this was his story. This was his testimony. And he was like, he's like, I, we, we've all had abuse and suffered terrible things. We come together because we share a common pain. Now, how did you transition all the way? I did, yeah. Um, well, I, when I started taking the hormones, uh, you know, I began to have changes in my body and I began to grow facial hair and my voice actually was much lower at the time. It's been such a miracle from God that my voice has been almost restored. It's still a little lower than it was, but, um, 
it's supposed to be a permanent change. The, the testosterone actually thickens the vocal cords. And so they say it's a permanent change, even if you stop the testosterone. Um, but mine has been almost restored. Oh, wow. And, um, but at the time, it was much lower. And then I had my name legally changed. And, you know, it was like all along the way, I kept recognizing that this wasn't real yet. But I always thought it would be one day. And I, I didn't understand the biology. I hadn't studied science much. I didn't understand the body. And I didn't realize that the hormones weren't going to actually turn me into a man. I really thought they were. Um, and with these surgeries and everything. Because I think that's what they tell you, that you will become this other gender. And so, um, and, well, and I started with um, wearing these chest binders. I knew that I would eventually get this surgery. But I wanted to bring this up because a lot of girls don't realize how dangerous these chest binders are. Um, they, some, now I was having severe back problems. Um, uh, my, my back was so bad that I could hardly bend over. Um, my muscles were almost frozen solid from wearing these things. And they said that some girls have cracked ribs. They have popped lungs in some cases, uh, that wow. can cause all kinds of damage. And they're handing these things out at, um, pride events to teenagers. It's just crazy. And so many of these young girls are binding and they don't realize the permanent damage they're doing not only to the breast but to um to other parts of their body and uh so because of the severe back problems i decided to move up my surgery and i um really just cashed in everything i mean i i maxed out every credit card and uh, just i couldn't afford this but just i got a surgery loan and did everything i could to go get this surgery and i had an um an outpatient double mastectomy but it was interesting because all along the way, I know I can look back and I know that people were praying for me because there were so many things God did along the way to sort of draw me back. And this was um, very early on in transition. I was I was in it actually almost nine years, and this was um, about two years into it. And my aunt that had been very close to me, she actually wasn't my biological aunt, but um, I didn't grow up with any kind of aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, anything in my area that... They were all very far away. And so this was my mom's best friend, and she's the one woman that I can look back on, and I know that she truly loved me. And I'm sure there were other women that did, but I just she was the one woman I knew that really, really loved me. And um, she moved away when I was 14, and that was it was so devastating. That was right around the time I was having tr the trouble with my female system. Um, but she wrote me an email right before I went to surgery, and uh, she said... Uh, Laura, you're being deceived by the devil, and you need to run away from this, and um, you're in the hands of Satan. I don't, I don't remember exactly what, what all she said, but something along those lines, and please don't do this. You're such a beautiful girl. And I was so angry with her. I didn't talk to her for several years. But I always encourage people that sometimes the, the truth spoken in love is not always received well, but it can still have a profound effect if we're faithful because as I was laying there on the operating table and I was looking down at all these purple dotted cut lines all over my chest where the doctor had marked me, and it was like something out of a horror movie. And I remember um, thinking, what if she's right? What if I really am in the hands of Satan? You know, am I really being deceived? And I almost walked out. I mean, I was very, very close, but I just began to almost cry, and I... I was so desperate. I wanted it so badly. And I remember I hadn't prayed to God for years. I think I forgot to mention that I had totally rejected God. 
I in high school I told God I would never serve Him again. I had no interest in God. Um, but I remember at that moment, I just prayed and I said, God, I I have to do this. I said, but I just begged God to spare my life. And it was a moment of me recognizing for the first time in a very very long time that I that I knew that God was real and that I needed Him. And so I think after that, God really began to work on me, you know, but I wouldn't recognize it for many years. But it was such a profound tur- turning point in my life. And uh, so when I woke up from surgery, you know, I quickly forgot my prayer and it was like, yes, this is awesome. This is everything I've ever wanted. And I thought it was so great. And I, I was just like, I thought I was going to ride off into the sunset of um, this male identity, it, the surgery made me legally male, and I was able to change my birth certificate. In fact, they told me at the time that I had what was called a long-form change to where it would appear that I had actually been born as a male. And um, so I just thought I could um, live the rest of my life with no one ever knowing that I was female. And I even began to withdraw from my family. And a lot of parents are confused when they find that their their transgender children are um, really withdrawing because they're trying so hard to love them. But I'm like, it doesn't really matter. Um, and, and I will tell parents, don't affirm all this. Keep standing on the truth in love. You know, don't call them by the pronouns they want and everything because the affirmation only leads further into, into the delusion. But it, it really doesn't even matter because I had family members that did affirm me and family members that didn't. And it was me that was withdrawing because every time I was around them, I was reminded of the truth. And it was like, even when we were talking about something totally unrelated to me or my identity, we would just be talking maybe about a childhood memory, you know, at Christmas, and we're all sharing this memory. And then all of a sudden, when it would get to um, talking about me, it was like, <gasps> everybody would stop and look at me and like, oh, you know, how do, what do we say? And, <laughs> and it, there was just this awkwardness. But even if they didn't say anything, it was like I was reminded when I was around my parents or my family that I knew the truth deep down and it haunted me. But anyway, I I went back to work a few weeks after my surgery and I was talking um, to my boss. That um, My boss at the time was a lesbian. She was very pro-LGBT. She had helped me plan this trip. She had no desire, um, you know, to... um, to try and convince me this wasn't good or anything. She thought this was wonderful. But I'll never forget that a few weeks later, she came to me one day and she said, look, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you're moping around here, you're depressed, you're not working as hard, you're unmotivated. Um, I don't know what's wrong, but I want the old Jake back. And I was stunned, I was like, what are you talking about? I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. Jake is the name that you transitioned to? Yes. That was your name when you trained, okay. Yeah, Jake. My legal name was Jacob, and I was going by Jake. So that's what she knew me as. And uh, But she did know I was trans. She had helped me plan this trip. But she was really angry with me, and she was like, I don't know what's wrong, but you're just moping around here, and you're depressed, and I want the old Jake back. And so um, I was like, what do you mean? I, and I kind of blew her off. I said, Look, I said, whatever. I'm just, you know, I'm still recovering, just, um, and I'll be fine. No, no, but I went home that night and I thought, what is she seeing in me that I'm not seeing in myself? And I finally had to admit that my surgery hadn't made me a man. And I really had been depressed. 
because I kept expecting it to be real, you know, and I, and this is, this is kind of, I I don't want to interrupt because I I just want to let you talk, but this is one of the things that we hear. If you just allow them to transition, if you just allow them to live this life, then they won't be sad anymore because the suicide rate in the LGBTQ community, especially among trans, is extremely high. Yeah. I, I heard one statistic where the suicide rate amongst trans people is the same as those that were in the Holocaust, like an extra- extraordinarily high. But that doesn't change after they transition, even if they're fully accepted by their parents, because it doesn't seem to matter what you do to your body, the body wasn't the problem. Right. Yes, I'm so glad you said that. In fact, um, studies have shown suicide rates are um, almost exactly the same both before and after surgery. And, um, you know, and I remember, and I've found that to be true with so many others that I have talked to, surgery never fixes the problem. And you're right, it doesn't matter, both those that are affirmed and those that aren't, because the struggle is internal. It doesn't matter how much affirmation you have from other people. I knew I was living a lie. And in fact, the, um, the affirmation, uh, sometimes I'll never forget. I'll, I'll jump ahead just real quickly and then um, sure. while we're on this point. Um, my dad, um, very late in my transition, about the last year or so, I'll never forget. He finally called, um, he introduced me as his son, Jake, one time. And I wanted to crawl under the table. It's like I'd waited for that for like eight years at that point. And I wanted that so badly. But um, I remember thinking, you know, that that was a lie. And I knew it, even though I wanted it so badly. Um, it was like, um, it reminds me now of that scripture where um, John was told that it will be sweet on his tongue, but bitter in his stomach. And I remember it was like, I wanted to hear that so badly, but it was just bitter um, because I knew it was a lie. Because uh, now you had turned your, your dad into a liar right. as well. I mean, it's one thing if we lie to ourselves, but when our loved ones, when we cause them to lie, there was like some kind of maybe guilt or remorse, I guess. Yeah, yeah I was feeling very, very guilty at that point. And there was wow. just a deep sorrow in that. Um, but but anyway, when I after my chest surgery, I, I thought, well, you know, the reason it's still not real yet is because um, I haven't fully transitioned. Like once I fully transition then I will be a man, even though I was legally male. And uh, so about two years later, I had all the female organs removed. And I was really angry when that still wasn't fixing it. And I still remember this internal struggle of I'm still like, I'm, it's still not real. And um, I thought, well, once I have the final surgery, everything will be fine, you know. Um, and I started looking into these surgeries and I didn't realize how bad they were. These surgeries, I mean, if you, there are horror stories. If you want to know the truth, if you're out there and you're struggling, look up these surgeries. Um, well, be advised, many of these websites will give you graphic pictures that you don't want. So, um, but, um, but the reality of these surgeries are, are they are maiming people's bodies. And uh, the surgeries for male to females are horrific. And not only, they don't create a real female body part. 
they actually create a cavity that is a permanent wound in the, the body considers it a permanent wound that they have to artificially keep open. Not only that, but there's a cavity where there shouldn't be. And I read a horror story the other day of this guy that, um, the, um, because it's open to the, um, uh, a part of the body that it shouldn't be there. You can smell, um, stuff coming from the intestines just to put it that way and so there's this wow. horrible putrid smell that will know and the, he said the doctors warned him there might be a little bit of an odor but he just had no idea how bad this would be and um and so you basically just have this cavity in your body and so for female to males um the surgeries are so bad the results are so bad that they said um they would likely never have any kind of sexual feeling as far as just physical feeling um, or sensation, I guess. And um, and so not only that, but so not only would it not be good sexually in the long term, but also the results themselves are just really bad. Um, they're gruesome surgeries. But then they've also had such complications with them. I know there's um, one girl that I've heard of that she's had 31 corrective surgeries because wow. it's been so bad. Um, so how much does this cost? Uh, how much does something like this? It's got to be outrageous. Oh yeah. And I couldn't have afforded it anyway. And I'm so thankful for God's grace. There are three times that I just barely missed out on insurance being able to cover it, um, because of changing wow. jobs and different things. And so, but it out of pocket at the time, it would have cost me like a hundred thousand dollars. There was no way I could have afforded it, but I was so narcissistic and selfish at this time. And I always tell people like, Transgenders often become extremely narcissistic, and one it becomes all about this identity. You're trying so hard to live a lie, and you're just constantly um, trying to reinforce it. And life became life became entirely about this image, and um, and so you become extremely self-focused. And I, I remember everybody I would meet, I would um, talk about, uh, or I would um, constantly be wondering, do they believe me? You know, do they know the truth? And there was this fear. Um, but anyway. Um, so so what's fascinating is I don't know where else you would hear this information. Like there, there are shows that are winning awards just because they portray a transgender life. And it's on Netflix or whatever. It's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And I've never you will never hear the counterpoint. Right. And you know there's got to be one. You know there's got to be, and it's shoved down so deep. Uh, I think there, are there a lot of people that are like you that have gone through this and now they're coming out and saying, hey, this is dangerous? Yeah, there's, there's actually tons of us. And it's like the media is not talking about it at all. And um, when I first came out, actually, um, this is so new. There have been a lot over the years. Uh, Walt Heyer that transitioned back in the 70s, he's run a website now for many years called sexchangeregret.com, and he has had thousands of people reach out to him um, that have regretted their sex change. In fact, there were there's a book called um, sexchangeregret.com, or I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Trans Life Survivors. And so he chronicles the lives of about 30 different people um, that – have regretted their transition. And so, um, and on top of that, there's also many that I have met through various, um, avenues and have talked to personally 
who have regretted these things. And they, they will all say the same thing. Um, it was never real. You know, it's always like you're trying so hard to keep up this image, but it's like wearing a costume. You know the truth inside. Um, now, can you tell me, because I can't imagine how you get to this point, how did you make it back to being Laura? How on earth? Because oftentimes the church would see somebody that's gone that far and just go, oh, the last thing they would ever consider or think about is becoming A, a Christian, and B, transitioning back. How on earth did that happen? Well, it was really just the grace of God. And I think so many prayers, like I said, there were so many things along the way that God was doing, just little breadcrumbs he would drop to woo me back. Like I remember one day I was driving down the road and I was listening to like, Um, Metallica or you know some of these like horrible bands I used to listen to and all of a sudden I was like I'm so sick of this music because it was just depressing me and I just turned to my Christian music for like the first time in years and uh, you know so there were all these things the Lord was doing along the way I can look back now and um, one thing that was so powerful in my life he'd put um, the partner that I ended up being with was um, he was also transgender and so he was a man living as a woman. And so I knew him as um, a woman at the time. But uh, the he was one of only three people I've ever met in the community that were conservative. And he was, like, radically conservative. And um, so it was, like, the first time in my life that I really began to think about what the truth was. Because he was willing to stand against the entire community. And he didn't care what they thought of him. And I'd never known anybody like that. That's like a unicorn. Yeah. That's like a real, a, a conservative transgender man. Yes. And it was, yeah. it was incredible. And so, um, we, as we began to discuss politics, I, I began to see the, the rational, logical, um, viewpoints of the Republican and conservative party. And, um, and so we really got into politics. Well, it started a love of talk radio. And so I, I was listening to conservative talk radio for years. I mean, who would think this transgender is out there listening to conservative talk radio and not not to be a troll? Like, I genuinely loved it. And so this was like six years later. And it just over time, it had softened me a little towards God. You know, they wouldn't um, it wasn't necessarily Christian programming, but they would talk about God once in a while. You know, God guns in America kind of thing. Um, and so then um but years later, my mom and I, we, I had been very distant from my parents. I didn't really want any relationship with them at all, but they kept trying to be a part of my life. And my partner kept pushing me to be part of their lives because he'd lost his mom when he was about seven and he lost his dad when he was about 19 or 20. And so he was always pushing me to go spend time with them. So occasionally I would meet them uh, for dinner and we'd occasionally talk on the phone, but very, very seldom. And so... Um, now I was, um, my mom had asked me to make a website for her Bible study and I didn't have any interest in the Bible study, but I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll make this website for you. And I had this brilliant idea that I didn't realize was, um, that God had given me this idea. But at the time I just thought I'd come up with this idea to make a summary of each lesson because um, we were putting like the um, the audio portion on there, and I thought, well, it needs something else like visually. So I thought, well, I'll just summarize each lesson. And so in order to do that, I had to read the lesson. <laughs> and so as I began to read the lessons, the Word of God just really began to penetrate my heart. And it really wasn't even a specific verse at first. It really was for the first time in my life, 
I began to see the heart and the character of God. And I think I began to see God as real. Like I'd always believed it intellectually, but God was so distant, you know, and I always thought um, that God had done all this to me on purpose. You know, it was like I had blamed God for everything in my life. And so I knew he was real in that sense, but I never believed he was, I, I never looked at him as having, uh, as truly being loving or as being faithful or trustworthy. I, I'd heard these things, uh, but I, I didn't truly believe it. But when I began to really see the Bible just coming to life and the things my mom was teaching was just blowing me away. And so I began to call and ask her questions. And as I did, um, she just began to answer my questions very patiently. And I went from almost never calling her except out of obligation to calling her every single day after work. And so as we began to talk, um, my heart just began to change more and more. And finally, about six months went by and I said, Mom, what's happened to me? Six months ago, I was 180 degrees from where I am now. I said, all I want is to hear the word of God. And she said, well, I've been praying that God would draw you back like a magnet. That's exactly wow. what God had done. And on top of that, I didn't realize at the time her entire Bible study had been praying for me, which had started with 12 women in a home. But God had blessed and blessed and blessed this Bible study. And um, it had grown to about 75 at that time. And wow. so, um, and these women were so incredible. They had just, they had prayed and prayed and prayed for me. And um, around that time, I remember um, my mom, she said there was something real dramatic that had come up in life, some kind of big life decision. And all my life, the one thing my mom had always done was she had always said, um, you know, this is how we fix it. Like whatever had come up in life, she always had a solution. She always had a plan. And it was like, this is what you need to do. And we never consulted God really on making life decisions. And um, I'll never forget. She said, honey, you just need to trust the Lord. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, who are you? And what have you done with my mother? Like, no, I need your advice. What is your plan? You know? And um, she said, well, this is what God's word says. And I, you know, you just need to trust him and really seek him for this answer. And I said, mom, what's happened to you? Cause you are not the mother that I grew up with. And I recognized over the last six months, I was like, my mom has been totally changed. And she told me how she had truly surrendered her life to the Lord. And it was no longer just, um, uh, just her own efforts. Cause she tried so hard all her life to please God through her own works and her own flesh. And now she was truly um, surrendered her heart to the Lord. And she'd been changed by the Holy Spirit. And there was such a radical change in her that I really gave my life to the Lord. And it was kind of funny what happened because, well, that night I went home and I really began to confess my sins. And I really poured my heart out to the Lord. And I said, God, I want what my mom has. But I didn't believe that God would um, accept me anymore. I thought, I'm so far gone. Just like you were asking, you know, the church would kind of assume that this person's too far gone. You know, they've already right. transitioned. And uh, but I, and I didn't believe it either. So for about two days, I just had no peace um, because I, I had confessed everything, but I sort of felt empty. And I didn't I didn't believe that God would um, bring me back, that he would accept me anymore. But about two days later, I said, God. I want to serve you again, but I don't even know where to start. And I was 
riding down this glass elevator at work and I was looking out over the city and I was watching this couple cross the street and I said, I don't even know where to start. God said, start with them. And I was like, what? <laughs> wait, wait, what do you mean? I didn't mean like now. You know, I meant like one day in the future. Like, I just wanted to know that you would still accept. He's like, nope, now. Right, right. And I, my heart started pounding. I was like, this is crazy. I've never heard God talk to me. And I was so stunned by this. But I knew just like deep down in the very core of my being, I knew this was God. And my heart is just pounding and pounding and pounding. And I went outside and I thought, you know, by the time I go out there, they're going to be like way down the street and I will have missed them. And um, But sure enough, they had stopped at the bus stop right in front of my building. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I was like, uh, what? I don't know what God wants from me. He hadn't given me any specific instruction. He just said, start with them. And I, I made all kinds of excuses. I actually went into the building four times and then came back out um, wrestling with this because I just I was so scared. But I thought, this is ridiculous, but I'm not going to have any peace. Like, I have got to go talk to these people. Even if I make a complete fool of myself, I'm just I'm just going to do it, and at least I will have tried. And so I went over to him, and I was like, hi. I never do this, but I feel like God wants me to pray with you. And I felt so stupid at that point. I was like, I thought God would, like, give me something, you know, like I've seen the movies, and I'm thinking, you know, God's going to tell me everything going on in their life. And I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord. And but God just wanted me to pray with them. And I thought, you know, they're going to kind of blow me off. But tears started streaming down their faces. And they looked at me just so stunned. And they were like, we've just moved to town. We don't know anybody. We don't have a job. I mean, there's this, like, laundry list of things they needed prayer for. And I'm like, if there's anybody in Tulsa that needs prayer, it's these two. <laughs> and, uh, so I was blown away by this. And it was at that moment that I knew that God wasn't done with me. And so I just totally put my faith in him and it was like, okay, Lord, I am completely yours. And as I began to pray, I could feel the Holy spirit come on me with such power. I couldn't even stand up straight. I was swaying back and forth. And I, it was like, I could feel the Holy spirit just washing me. I remember feeling like I was being cleansed from the inside out. This was such a, and then after I said, amen, it was like light burst forth from my chest. I could feel the transformation. I was radically transformed. I remember, and as I was walking back to my office, I called my mom and I was like, mom, you're never going to believe what happened. And I was so radically transformed. She told me later that she knew I was changed. And so, um, I, I mean, imagine how long your mom had been waiting for that phone yeah, call. Yeah, years. Because even before I was transgender, I had already had many years of other types of rebellion. Um, in high school, I'd started getting into Satanism and all kinds. I mean, I had just been off the rails for like 20 years. And um, so my mom was so stunned, you know. And uh, I, I went back to work and all I could think about, like everything from childhood just came flooding back. Like all the good, you know, all the, the hymns and the, the scriptures. And I wanted nothing but to hear the old hymns of church that I'd hated for so long that were so dry and boring that I didn't. I remember thinking like um, I heard the, the power in the blood and it was like, oh, I get it. And I, I remember wow. thinking like I had never understood that song as a kid. I didn't understand why there was power in the blood. It was like, and I just knew I was saved. And um, and so I really began to be so hungry for the Lord. I began listening to either a Bible study teacher or a podcast or 
um, the audio Bible, something all day long at work. And it was all I could do. All I wanted was to hear the word of God. And I was just consumed with this. I found out later the ladies in the Bible study were praying that I would have a ravenous hunger for the word. I just laughed. I was like, you have no idea how much God answered that prayer. It was all I wanted. And uh, so I really thought that I, that God was going to, that he had accepted me as Jake, you know, and I thought, this is awesome. I can be a man of God, but he began to convict me and, you know, God didn't leave me there. And so little by little, he began to convict me more and more and more. And then, so can I, can I ask, can I, can I interrupt real quick? Uh Cause that's really interesting. Cause some people might say before you can get saved, you need to stop being transgender, stop being Jake, and then God will save you. But God saved you while you were Jake? Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. And, and, while know, we were sinners, right? Like while we were still a terrible mess, God got a hold of your heart, and then he began to change you. Right. Yeah, we don't tell anybody else that they have to clean themselves up first. You know, but at this end, God saved me while I was still in that state. And yet, um, but... God didn't leave me there either. Cause I think the church wants to be one or the other, you know? Right. And so, um, but I really didn't know how to fix it. And it's not that, you know, looking back, it's not like God was okay with me living that way. But at the same time, he was so patient with me because I, I really thought it was a permanent change. I had no idea how to fix this. So when I would get convicted, it was like, okay, God, I realize that you didn't really want me to be transgender, but like, what do I do about it now? You know, I'm kind of stuck this way. Yeah, a little late now. Yeah. And so I really, that was kind of my attitude at the time. Like, I'm really sorry. And so I would just keep asking forgiveness for it. But I, I really didn't think I was ever going to change. And, um, but it was interesting. The reason I brought up the talk radio earlier, this was such a profound thing in my life. And I just love the things that God uses that we would never expect um, to be an influence in someone's life. So, um, I had been listening to this local radio show out of Tulsa for years, and um, it was just a conservative talk radio show. It was not um, necessarily Christian. The host is Catholic, but it was not necessarily a Christian radio station. And um, But every Friday, he would have this man on named Dr. Everett Piper, which a lot of people in Oklahoma are probably familiar with. Um, and he every week on the radio I just, I'd become such a big fan of his. He was an amazing speaker, but he just, he was able to relate the truth in a way that was um, sort of an um, an elevated way of, uh, of speaking in these terms that were intriguing, like ideas that I had never really heard before from these deep theologians, but yet he was able to relate it in a way that I could understand. And so um, this became my favorite show of the week, and I just couldn't wait to hear him week after week. But then all of a sudden one day he started talking about transgender issue. And it was so funny because I just immediately tuned him out. And I think I instinctively knew that no matter what he said, he wasn't going to be on my side. He wasn't going to say that this was wonderful and just totally blessed by the Lord. You know, I think, you know, God says he's written his law in our hearts. And I just think that was so true. And so, um, I, I knew the truth, but, um, week after week he started um, talking about this issue over and over and over. And so finally one day I was like, okay, I've either got to turn him off or I've really got to start listening. And it was like, okay, I'm going to give him one last chance. I'm really going to listen to what he says. And if he's really being hateful, then I'm just going to turn him off. And I was amazed that what he said wasn't hateful. What he actually said was, 
Um, we're not just made up of our instincts, our feelings, and our desires. We are made in the image of God, and we can choose our behavior despite how we feel. And that was a radical thought to me. And so that sounds like freedom. It, like I can choose. I'm not. I'm not a slave to my DNA, my impulses. I'm not a slave to any of that. That I. I actually have the ability to choose. It's so. I'm so glad you said that because it reminded me of a point I'd forgotten. There um, during the years that I was living as transgender. Um, I became such a slave to that identity. I talked about how um, um, everybody had um, – hang on one second. Sorry. You're good. Um, I, how everybody had um, told me that this was going to – I was going to find nothing but freedom. And yet it, I found it to be such bondage. I'd become such a slave to that identity. Because I was constantly worried about what other people thought of me. Every time I would meet somebody, I was wondering, do they know the truth? And I was just um, having to do all these things to do all these fake things. I was never able to get the um, the genital reassignment. And so I was using this um, prosthetic thing that just, I you know, I won't go into detail, but just drove me absolutely insane, all the fake things you have to do to sort of keep up this image. And um, it just it drove me absolutely crazy. And so what had promised to be freedom had become my prison cell. And so you're right. As I begin to hear about, there may be a way out of this, you know, and I still didn't want to be a girl at this time. It, that was, there was so much pain. I desperately didn't want to be transgender. I hated by this point being transgender, but I didn't want to be a woman. I wanted so badly to be a man. And, um, I was desperate and I began to think of any way possible that I began to beg God to just let me be a man. Um, in fact, I got so desperate at one point, even after I was a Christian, I started looking up to see if there were magic spells to become, I was just like, and I knew it wasn't real, but it was like, I was going to try to Harry Potter, the whole situation. I was so desperate. I was just clinging to anything. And, um, but I just knew it was never going to be real. And I'll never forget one time the Lord um, I was really wrestling with all this, and um, I knew that Dr. Piper was right, and it was like that ultimately was the truth that set me free, but it took many months because I just couldn't face the fact of being female. There was so much pain there, and I didn't even know why, but I just I couldn't stand the thought of it, and so um, as I wrestled with this, my dad kept talking to me about Jesus coming back and the rapture and all this, and I'm thinking, you know, there's a way out of this. Like, if Jesus returns then, you know, I can just show up in heaven and be like, whoops, I didn't have time to change. Like, I really would have, you know, but, and so I thought, if I can just hang on till Jesus returns. Um, but then I was talking to my mom uh, around that time, and I said, Mom, what are you studying in Bible study? And she said, well, I've been studying on the judgment seat of Christ. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I'm going to stand before, and then just all of a sudden there was this collision of Jesus could show up at any moment, and I'm going to stand before him and give an account of my life. And I went home that night, and I threw myself on the floor, and I was like, Lord, you have whatever you want in my life. I don't care what you do to me. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And Because uh, I knew that as much as I was on fire for the Lord and I was sharing my faith, I was still really living a lot for the flesh, too. And I knew that, like, still... Um, really just spending lots of time in entertainment, really not serving the Lord, even though I was hungry and sharing my faith in, in the Word a lot. I was still living a lot for the world. And so there was this battle going on. And so um, I expected him to kind of tell me what to do, but he asked me a question. He said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? I was like, whoa, 
what do you mean? Wow. And I, I, I had sort of at that point, I'd really convinced myself that I could just be um, Jake because I was like, this is a, you know, I'm in this situation permanently. And uh, so I didn't know how to answer him. And he reminded me of John chapter one, where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. He said, you cannot claim to love me and yet reject my creation. But in the most, you know, and there was a moment there where I really thought I was being condemned. But in the most loving voice mm. I've ever heard in all my life, he said, let me tell you who you are. Wow. And I was blown away at that moment. And it was like all of a sudden I recognized that I was created with an identity already. That it wasn't mine to create. You know, I think so often we try to figure out who we are through our own efforts and all these things. And we, we base so much off our feelings. But I realized at that moment that God had created me and that I was defined by who he had created and um, that I was, designed, you know, created with a purpose and an identity. And so it was like, okay, God, I recognize that this is a choice and I recognize that this is not who I am, but I don't know how to fix it. And so by this time, the Lord had really been opening my eyes to the agenda, to everything going on, that this was just totally a lie. And I remember finding, uh, coming across stories of um, transracial and trans species, even people that are claiming to be trans age. I mean, uh, all of these things were just getting so insane. And this whole movement was just getting out of control. And so the Lord really opened my eyes and I began to just absolutely hate being transgender. And so finally... Um, the last few months, um, I was just in absolute agony and turmoil. I was just, uh, the last two months I got to where I couldn't hardly sleep. I wasn't eating, um, very well. And I was having a lot of trouble at work. I don't know how I got through the last two months at work. I was just in, um, in fact, I got to where I really couldn't even, um, I listened to the Bible studies and stuff that I was before I was under such heavy conviction and, um, I'll never forget, I, I began to, to really beg the Lord to take my life. And I just, I pleaded with the Lord. I said, please just let me die. I don't see any way out of this. I finally, I was really angry with God. And I said, what am I supposed to do? Just show up in a, a dress at work and say, just kidding. I'm probably a girl. I was at this job now where nobody knew that I was a girl because I kept changing jobs more and more the more I would transition to where nobody knew finally. And they had only known me as a man for four years. And... Uh, so I was kind of and then suddenly show up and be like, right. hi, right. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not Jake anymore. And people are like, is this a joke? Is this a practical joke? What are you doing? I know. And which was funny because when you come out, that's exactly what you do. And so, you know, like I couldn't make that connection that, yes, I had done that before, but I was so afraid. And so um, the Lord, I just felt like I'd fallen in this deep, dark pit that I couldn't get out of. And I, um, the Lord reminded me in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, where he says, um, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? And I remember at that moment, like, if I what if I hang on to this that I want so badly, if I save my life, I'm going to lose it. And I had a clear vision of Jesus Christ getting down on one knee. He reached his hand down into this pit that I was in, 
And he said, do you trust me? And I knew at that moment he was asking me to walk away from everything. And I had no idea what my life was going to look like. And I, I, it was, but it was like, okay, Lord. And it was just a giant leap of faith. And I just walked away from it all. And I, you know, I moved home. My parents let me move home to Bartlesville, um, to my hometown. And, uh, it was the last thing on earth I wanted to do, but I knew it was God's will. He'd confirmed it was his will for me to go home at 33 years old and live with, live with mom and dad. And, uh, I just thought it was the end of the world. Um, but I just um, thought, I, I, I honestly thought I was going to be completely miserable the rest of my life. I was in so much pain. The first few days, I felt like I felt like I was absolutely dying. And I really was. Like, looking back, I was dying to myself. But I didn't recognize it at the, at the time. And there was so much grief there. And my mom, uh, she didn't even know what to do with me. I remember she kept like coming in the room and kind of staring at me. And she wanted to help, but she didn't know how. And so she would just kind of walk off, and she said she would just go and pray for me. And several days went by, and I was just miserable. But um, that Wednesday morning when I showed up for my mom's Bible study, um, and I had seriously, actually the day before, I had almost gone home. I was so miserable, and I was just ready to face the, you know, eternal consequences. I didn't know if, like, I could be unsaved or, you know, I I just didn't know what would happen because I knew what God's Word said, that those um, who live in these lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I was looking at this, and um, I thought, I this is just more pain than I can bear. But my mom, about that time, uh, she handed me this pile of cards from these women and I mean, this was like, I was overwhelmed. There were probably 50 cards here. And these women hadn't just signed their name. I mean, most of them had like poured their hearts out to me. They told me how wow. they'd been praying for me for years. And on top of that, they had raised over $1,600 to buy me a new wardrobe. And I just. Yeah, because you didn't have any girl right. clothes, right? Like you were, so it's kind of hard to become, you know, a girl again, be Laura, if all you got is Jake's clothes. Yeah. Yeah, I had given away most of my men's clothes. Really, all I came home with was like sweats and T-shirts. I didn't have any girl clothes at all. And wow. uh, and so I just began to sob and sob. I said, Mom, these women don't even know me. And she said, but they love you. They've been wow. praying for you mm-hmm. for years, and they're so excited to meet you. And I said, okay, I, I've at least got to show up for Bible study tomorrow to thank them. And when I showed up, these women surrounded me with so much love and compassion and just they were I'll never forget how excited they were because I wasn't that excited to be dressed like a girl at that moment but they were rejoicing I'll never forget someone just grabbing me and hugging me so tightly and you know kissing me on the cheek and they were so happy for me and it was like and they talked about this miracle they had seen that they had prayed for for years and as I received this love from these women and they just accepted me as one of the women I mean, this was such an out-of-body experience. I've been living as a man for nine years, and all of a sudden, um, these women are just totally embracing me as a woman. And it was like at that moment, that transgender lie just broke. And it was like I had needed all my life to feel loved by women and just to be accepted as a woman. And um, these women had such a profound impact on me. And this is the response of the church, you know, um, I think so, sometimes the, the church wants to be either completely condemning or completely affirming. And, you know, it's neither. 
The church needs to yeah. be loving in truth, and there is a way to perfectly walk that. Um, that was one of my questions. That I, yeah. I think I think you've summed it up perfectly. You know, like how how do we as a church help? Because we want to help, right? And there are those that their sin isn't that obvious and they come into the church all the time and we treat them and we love on them and, and we don't know what's going on. And then there's people who wear their sin on their sleeve, right? Like they, 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 it's obvious where they're coming from and we're almost scared of that. They're like, Oh, they're going to hate us. And so we withdraw, but it's this unconditional, unashamed, just, yeah, there's truth, but man, that truth is so wrapped in love that, it's breaking down these walls that you've built up. Right. And just like with Dr. Piper, I didn't want to hear what he said at first, but that truth was ultimately what set me free. And it was absolutely what I needed. And it's just like, like, for example, if a, if a meth addict comes into your church, you're going to love them. But at the same time, you're not going to just wrap your arm around them and week after week, after week, after week, see them going back to their drugs and just never tell them the truth. I mean, surely at some point you're going to say, here, let me get you some help. We, we love you. We want to help you. I mean, you wouldn't, um, you know, if you have a, uh, you have a heroin addict and they're saying, hey, can you really give me some needles? I, I need a, a heroin fix. You wouldn't just go give them their needles just because that's what they want. But somehow right. we, with this, uh, with this issue, we're like, oh, we just need to give them what they want. And somehow they'll, they'll, they'll find Jesus just because it's like we try to be more loving than God. You know, Jesus told yeah. the woman caught in adultery. He said, I don't condemn you. But he said, go and sin no more. You know, sometimes we mix up love with enabling. Yes. We don't know. We don't know the difference. And it's such a selfish love. We don't want to hear that because yeah. we think we're being really selfless because we're being loving quote. And I put that in air quotes, but, but true love is willing. Um, sometimes we have to be willing to be, um, to be hated or, um, to be mocked or, you know, the most profound things that have been told to me in my life were things that I can look back like my aunt's letter and say they were absolutely spoken in love, but I didn't want to hear it at the time. Right. And they were hard to hear. And I've known how long people. Oh, yeah. How long have you been Laura again? Uh, it's been three and a half years. Three and a half yeah. years. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. What are, I, I'm sure there's, you know, some scars still left over, some things that you're still working through. How has the last year or two years been for you? Uh, it's been amazing. I mean, I have seen, God, when I first came home, um, I really didn't even look like a girl. I mean, you know, it's just been an incredible transformation of what God has done physically and spiritually in me. You know, even though the lie broke almost immediately, it really took three years um, to, to, and I'm still healing in some ways, um, but it really, I, I, it was very difficult to face that female identity. Um, so even though everybody else was happy for me, it took a long time to heal from that because I didn't really want to be a woman. Um, but the Lord really through, um, discipleship and through one of the most incredible things he did for me, you mentioned earlier that I was working at the church and even though I'm not working there now, cause I've moved and I'm now working for a new ministry. Um, the Lord allowed me to work on staff at my church and I was on the, a team of like um, six other girls. And so I was just like one of the girls um, and like each yeah. minister had an assistant. And I was like, I was just one of these girls and I was so close with these girls and they just had a profound impact on my life. 
um, between the women at the Bible study and the and the women at the Bible study were mostly older women. And I, it's funny as a kid, I was mostly around older people, and I just had these love of these older people. And it, it was like having now the Bible study has now grown to about 130, and so I had like 130 grandmas. <laughs> it was just wonderful. But then I had these uh, these other girls that I worked with at the church. And I was just like one of these girls. And it was so healing to me. And I've recognized that a lot of times what people that have struggled with same-sex attraction, what they want is um, is somebody of the opposite sex to counsel them because they're more comfortable that way. Um, there's there's yeah. less fear there. But what they actually need is somebody of their same sex that has never struggled with these issues, that is completely secure in their um, in their identity to help them. My uh, my best friend ended up being a woman that was about 10 years older. Um, she had five kids. I mean, we had nothing in common, and yet we ended up being best friends. And she had a profound impact in my life of just um, really calling out the femininity in me. You know, and so I've recognized that, that men that struggle with same-sex attraction or transgenderism really need good, solid men in their life, godly men. Yeah. And then women really need women. And so that was kind of how the Lord healed all this. Um, there's another study I really recommend from uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss, or Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth now. She's gotten married, and uh, Mary Cassian called uh, True Woman 101. It's an amazing study on biblical womanhood. And that really helped me face God creating me as a woman and really seeing that men and women are different. And it's not this arbitrary thing that we can just decide we're one or the other. Um, God really right. did create us differently. Um, so that was very healing as well. And so now I'm in a full-time ministry, just trying to reach others and trying to give others the hope that I have and hopefully um, be able to, um, not that I can save anyone, point them to Christ, but I mean, just help them um, before they go down this road. Because even though the Lord has totally redeemed everything, and yes, my voice has changed back and things, there are still permanent consequences. I'll never have my breast back. I'll, I'll never be able to have my own children. You know, I, I still have to shave every day because I still grow facial hair. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, the Lord has been, um, there's so much redemption in this. But, um, but there are real consequences. So I just hope that I can help other people see um, that what they need is healing, you know, not, well, not to change their body. Laura, your, your passion and your joy uh, they're they're contagious. Just listening to you, I, I just love hearing your story. Just listening, I can hear how passionate you are, because you were somebody who was in prison and now you're set free, and you talk <laughs> like it. You talk like somebody who's been set free. If uh, so, there's a couple of ways that people can hear more about your story. You have your book, Transgender to Transformed. Is that on Amazon or just on your website? It it, it is on either. Um, you can go to. Okay. Um, my website is transgendertotransformed.com, and you can find okay. um, uh, links to videos there as well, and um, also articles that I've written. And yeah, then, you, you're you're a prolific blogger as well. Yes, uh, I haven't in a while. I'm trying to get back to that now. Uh, last couple of months were crazy with trying to move and um, transitioning to a new ministry, and uh, um, so now I'm a part of uh, First Stone Ministries here in Oklahoma City. Fantastic. Laura, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you would take the time to share all that you've been through. And I'm excited. I almost want to check back with you in a couple of years, if not sooner, yeah. um, just to see what God does with this. Because I think more and more people, there was even a march not too long ago about people who had 
transit. Am, am I right? There was a march in Washington about people who were doing the opposite of an LGBTQ march. They were a march of freedom right. per se. Yeah, it was called Freedom March. Um, yeah, I've yeah. been to several of them, and uh, um, just a bunch of people that have come out of these lifestyles, various, um, both gay and transgender, and just proclaiming freedom in Christ um, that we've been truly set free. And um, it, it's such a um, defeat of the lie of the enemy. You know, we're told we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And so that's yeah. why, you know, I'll never quit sharing my testimony because I just want people to, to hear the power of Christ to overcome anything. I think we're going to see more and more people, um, and I appreciate you being a pioneer of this, but we're going to see more and more people who realize that the lie does nothing but imprison us more. Yeah. And that's my prayer and my hope so that uh, we as a culture can move beyond this. Yeah. And... Um, Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you all listening. If you have questions, you know where you can find her on our website. And I really encourage you to get her book. It's powerful. Laura, thank you again. Thank you. God bless.